0: we are in this series that we're calling when Jesus is in charge and I'm telling you um, this should have been the first sermon this is what I, where I should have started I, I think if Jesus had preached this sermon he would have started with this one it wouldn't be number three it would be number one I was talking about this with Zach Johnson from our church and he said when it, when it comes to this matter of, of Jesus being our Lord I, this is it. This, this is what it's all about. Get this, and, and you'll get it. So here's, here's today's message, if I can boil it down. That when we have come to know Jesus, when we're following Him as Lord, then we find life, uh, the abundant life. We find it when we love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, this love, uh, in which we love our neighbor as ourselves, is a love that flows naturally out of our love for the God who loves us as He loves himself. All right, as we think about that, we're going to be guided by the story that Jesus told. It's probably the best-known story of all of his stories, and as we've already seen, it, it grew out of an, of an attorney who came to Jesus and asked him two questions. So think about them. One. Uh, How do I gain, how do I inherit this eternal life of God? And number two, who is my neighbor? So we're going to start that way. So number one, uh, this way of life that we're talking about, that God created us to to live, how do most people think about the fact, how do most people think they're going to find that life? And that brings us to the attorney's question. Verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law Stood up to and notice this, test Jesus, teacher. He said, "A rabbi." This was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now I've got to say this: uh, we have attorneys in our church, and this lawyer was not quite the same as attorneys here in the United States. Uh, this this man was an expert in the law, but the law that he was an expert in is the uh, law of Moses. Uh, it was the Torah that's referring to the first five books of the Bible. Books of Moses, Matthew, uh, Matthew, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So he had become an, an expert in that. And as such, he had a very positive view about all of the laws and commands that God gave. He didn't think that they were just arbitrary. And as I've so often talked with you about this, when God tells us how we're supposed to live, He doesn't give us commands to ruin our lives. Uh, When he gave the Ten Commandments, he he said it so clearly, and I've said it so often here, that God gives us commands not to ruin our lives, but so that it may, do you remember? Go well, go well with us. So this is what the life with God is all about. Uh, Eternal life in the Bible is not just about life that goes on and on and on and on. I mean, eternal life is a life that can't be taken away, so it is that. But it's not just that. Because just to have a life that goes on and on and on and on, and on may not be heaven at all, right? That, that could be a hell. So the eternal life in, in the Bible is the life that only an eternal God can give. And, and it comes when God is at the center of our lives. And the Bible refers to it in so many ways. Jesus would call it abundant life. He would call it life to the full. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as a life of shalom. And so that's, that's the bigger meaning of the, how, how do I have that kind of life that God made for me to have? And I think everybody is looking for that. How am I supposed to live to really appreciate the, the, this life? But I'm pretty sure that when the attorney asked Jesus this question in this situation, he was only asking um, who gets to go to heaven, who has life that goes on and on and on. And, and gets to be with God. And the reason for that was that of the other experts in the law in his day, it had been a major debate about who is going to actually be with God and who will not be with God. And, and it goes back to Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And they debated about this endlessly. I'll, I'll show you this verse up here Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth. What's he talking about there? You, this is not hard. those who have died, so they're they're asleep in the dust of the earth, they're going to awake someday. But some are going to go to everlasting life and others to everlasting contempt. So essentially the debate was the one that we we know about. If if God is really there and there's a life after this death, who goes up and who goes down? Who gets to be with God and who is separated from God? And the experts in the law had serious debates about this. Um, Most of them didn't think that Gentiles would get to be with God. That's most of us. (laughs) Uh, Some felt that even some of the liberal Jews wouldn't get to be with God either. But even though there were disagreements about that, there was one thing all of them were absolutely agreed about. Samaritans would not have everlasting life with God. you you just got to remember that when you get to this story. You know where this is going to lead. They're not, people would even pray, uh, God, if somehow they do have that, don't put me in a part of heaven where they're there. Because their contempt was so so great among them. Now, do you notice the, the attorney uh, wanted to test Jesus? Which means he really wanted to make him look bad. Essentially, what I think was this, he, he was just waiting for whatever Jesus was going to answer. And he wanted everybody to see what he thought about Jesus, that he was this educated expert in the law, and that Jesus was this uneducated, untrained, uh, so-called rabbi uh, from Nazareth, so he wanted to to sort of prove that he was wrong, I've often asked myself, what did he think Jesus was going to answer? Uh, Maybe because Jesus had always spent time uh, with people um, who were tax collectors or, or prostitutes, people that were kind of on the outskirts, maybe he thought Jesus was going to be one of those liberal thinkers who would just say, "Ah, God is love. Everybody's going to get there. You don't have to worry. And then if he he had said that, he was going to pounce on this because that would mean that God isn't just and that evil isn't dealt with. You see, he he was ready for whatever Jesus was going to say. But uh, one thing is sure to me. Uh, This attorney was quite sure that he had eternal life. There's this old gospel song. It's a terrible song. It's, if anyone makes it all the way home, surely I will, Lord. Uh, Dwayne and Jeremy, let's never sing that. Let's ne- never sing that. But, but he, would, he would have sung this. He, he would have thought, as so many people think, um, yes, there may be some people who are deserving of help, but I, I'm not that. So how do most people think about having life? And I hear people relating to this guy In so many ways, they'll think, well, if there is a God and and somehow I have to see him afterwards, then on balance, my life is better than most other lives. I'm not as bad as Hitler. (laughs) Uh, I'm not as bad as those liberals who are ruining our country. I'm not as bad as those conservatives who have no heart. Put whatever you want to put in there. Most people think that, well, on balance, if, if... I must be okay. And this expert in the law really thought that, I'm sure, because he he knew the law, he taught other people how God had had told us that we're supposed to live, and I'm sure he felt like he kept it better than anybody else. And and maybe the lawyer thought that, that Jesus would flatter him by saying, Sir, of all people I've ever met, you don't have to worry about that. If anybody alive has this eternal life, surely you do. But Jesus did not say that. Number two, life. This eternal life, this abundant life, this shalom, according to Jesus, the one through whom everything was made, the maker of life, which is his royal command. (laughs) Remember James, his half-brother called it that. In the book of James, the royal command that that comes back down to this. So, as Jesus did so often, he answered the lawyer's question with a question of his own. You know, Jesus did that all the time. He he threw back a question. And, And essentially, remember, this man was an expert in the law. So Jesus asked, well, how do you read the Torah? I mean, how do you read the laws of God? Uh, how, how do you understand it teaching us to really live? And the attorney quickly would say, "Here, here it is: love the Lord your God with all of your being, and that should flow into a love of your neighbor as yourself." Now, to, to, to grasp this thing, uh, the experts in the law had taken the, uh, the first five books of our scriptures and had counted all the laws. Do you know how many they counted? 613. I'm sure he knew them all. 613. Uh, And yet, really, those 613 laws that you find in the books of Moses could all be boiled down to 10. In fact, it really goes the other way. It starts with the 10, the 10 commandments. And those other 600 plus laws are simply applications of the 10 commandments to everyday living in Israel. Did you know that? So, there were all of these laws that he was an expert of that could be boiled down to ten major ones telling us how to live. And then those ten could be further boiled down to one that has two parts. You are to love God with all of your being. Do you know that's the first part of the Ten Commandments? How do we love God? We love God by putting Him first, nothing in His place. We love God by not making an idol out of anything in this world. Uh, We we love God by not taking His name in vain. We we love God by setting aside a day to be with Him. That's a practical way of loving God. And when you love God that way, then that has to flow into a love for people who are made in the image of God. And that's what the second part of the Ten Commandments are about. Did you know that? Uh, we, we love people in a practical way. By not lying to them. By not stealing from them. By not committing adultery. By, by being faithful. By not coveting what they have. You, do you see this? So, so love in the Bible. Uh, it does touch our emotions. But it's not just an emotional thing. Love in the Bible always flows into very practical action. So, so that, that, that's what... Jesus is talking about here. So the attorney got it right. You are to love God with all of your being and the second just flows right out of it. Love your neighbor as yourself and in verse 28 Jesus said you got it. Right. That's what it's all about. Now just go and do it and that's how you're supposed to live and you will live. Uh, Do you you see the brilliance of this? Uh, The lawyer had sort of minimized This life with God at the center to just being life that goes on and on and on. And Jesus got at the heart of what God wants to do in our lives. Getting into right relationship with God that absolutely changes our lives, that redirects all of our lives. God made us people who are to know Him and to love Him. And that that flows out into a love for other people. That's what life is all about. Now, I I know that I've got to say that in an evangelical church... um, Many people are really troubled by the fact that Jesus didn't say, well, it's nothing that you do, it's just by faith. And any of you? You're not going to tell me, though, are you? Anybody troubled by that? You don't have to vote on that if you don't want. Well, let me just say a little bit about this. Um, coming alive to God is something we can never earn. Ray, you got at that with Ricky up in the, in the baptistry. It's none of us, none of us in this whole place can live perfectly enough to earn our way to God. We've all fallen short. So that means we've got to fall in faith upon what Jesus did for us. But that's, that's the issue that Jesus dealt with in John 3. When the Nicodemus came to him and essentially said, how do I come alive to God? How can I be born again? Well, we can be born again by believing on the Lord Jesus. John 3:16, right? But here he's talking about a different kind of a question. He's not talking about how we come alive to God, but how we live once we've come alive to God. He's not talking about the way to God. He's talking about the life of God. Are you with me? He's not telling us how to be saved. He's talking about what this series of sermons is all about. Once we are saved and Jesus becomes the Lord of our lives, how do we live? And how we live is we love God with our whole hearts and we love people because people are made in the image of God. All right, you see that. I, I see most of you seem to have some acknowledgement of that. Still, this, this um, attorney wanted to prove himself to be in the right. Look at verse 29. He wanted to justify himself. Can't do that. We can't, just, we can't make ourselves right. But but he wanted to act like he he knew he hadn't loved this way. I think deep down in his heart, he knew that there were even people he hated, like Samaritans. So he tried to make Jesus look bad again by asking a second question. It's a question that also is always asked, and sometimes in church we ask it too Can't love everybody, Jesus? Can't love everybody. And there are some people that surely aren't worthy of love. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So you see, the the lawyer was trying to hold on to his self-righteousness. But here, and I've written it for you just to consider, the fact is that the true life of God, this true life with God, doesn't begin until you acknowledge that you aren't really living on your own. He had to acknowledge that. That that trying to do it himself, he had fallen short. Real life, the the life of, of, of God, is impossible until you and I recognize that real love, uh, this life of love that God made us for, to know God, to have him at the center of our hearts, that flows into love of other people, that that kind of life and love is impossible on our own. So, Jesus, instead of arguing uh, with the lawyer, teaches him, as I think he still teaches us, with a story. So that brings me to the story. And I, I've called it here the evidence that, that the life of God is something that is in us, that, that we have come to know God through faith in, in Christ. The, what, what is the evidence of it? You know the story. You, I read it. Phil sang it. <laughs> I'm guessing most of you knew it before we ever came in. People who go to church, people who don't go to church usually know the Good Samaritan story. I, so I won't retell it to you. I just want you to know that underlying this, this powerful Good Samaritan story is a beautiful theology. That genuine love for God. When you come alive to God. Not that Ricky and Dewey, as you're getting baptized and you say, from head to toe, I belong to Jesus. How do I live? And and Jesus says, here's how we live. We see people different. Our heart for people is different. It's going to, to flow out into a life of love because we're going to see that all people bear the likeness of God. We're made in the image of God. And even though it's marred in all of us, Every human being, regardless of where we've been, regardless of what we've done, every, when we see people, we see people who bear the image of God. So that God says, if you love me, you will love people. And if you don't love people, you don't love me. The Bible says that so often. Read 1 John. So the way I thought I should put together this famous story is to have us sort of do a, a self-evaluation. What does this story teach us that we should look for in our lives when Jesus is in charge of our lives? Well, I'll give you four points and check your own life in the light of it. Number one, if you really experience the mercy of God through faith in Jesus, number one, you're going to count it your calling. You're even going to consider it a privilege personally to show love to people. So Jesus tells us that there were two men ...who were going down the same Jericho road... ...and they saw this man who was half dead... ...and he tells us that the two men who ignored him were... ...a priest and a Levite. Now, the very choice of those two people was, was, was pretty... Uh, ...there's a reason for it. Uh, he didn't pick out Pharisee... ...he didn't even pick out a teacher of the law... ...he picked out a priest and a Levite... ...who was the priest's assistant. And one of the reasons is this... ...the priests and the Levites were the ones who were in charge... Of administering the benevolence fund within the temple and within the synagogues that were there you, you see they, they were they were the people that like in our church they, they would be like the pastors or or be like pa- Pastor Myra or, or or some of the people who meet people and say try to identify what the need is but it becomes very clear that even though that was their calling they were only caregivers by profession not by their hearts conviction so if a person with need, like this man, had been able to show up at the temple and say, I have a need, they would hand him all the forms. Say, fill this out, and we'll figure out how we can help you. Now, I've, got, I've got to stop here in case you think I'm making a, taking a shot at, at, at having systems to meet needs. I'll tell you, it's important to have those. Ask any of our partners like Door of Hope or any of the, It's important to have them. And for us, too, I'm so thankful that when people come and say needs, we have people who meet with them and, and listen and try to figure out how we can help people actually change their lives. That's so important. Um, so, for example, when you leave church today, if you walk across the gateway, you'll meet people who are almost always there. And you sometimes wonder, are they professional beggars? Maybe they make more money than I do. You, you just don't know. And out of guilt because the pastor preached from the Good Samaritan, you feel like, i better do something for people. How how do we handle this in a way that's wise? Well, I'll tell you, one of the ways is that we have some systems. The first thing you do when you see a person like that is is you see them as people. We we see all people as people made in God's image. So you don't just ignore or or put people down. So We've got to do that. So it starts there and it may be that even if you discern there may be a real need here, you can help once, but if you see people there all the time, here's what I do. I say, you know, our church really cares about people who are hurting. Come on up. We have a neighborhood center. Just come right up the ramp, and, um, and, and we'll talk with you and, and help you to get out of this pattern of life where you have to do this. I'm telling you, if the need is real, they will come. And if that's a way of life that they want to sustain... They will not come. Uh, that, that's not even a part of the sermon. I just thought it... <laughs> you know this is right, right? So systems are, are really, really important. But, but it's clear to me that these two men who administered it didn't care personally for people who were hurting They didn't really love people, and we all know people like that. Many times politicians are like that, talking really big about having laws where the government's going to help people who are hurting, but not having any relationships to hurting people. Uh, It's really hard for me, because this sermon i preached to myself. Pastors can be like this. I mean, I could be preaching this sermon, and then go home and just ignore people who are hurting. Or, it's not just pastors. I'm glad to tell you. Now I can preach to you. Um... You can come to church and you say, oh yeah, we care about hurting people. That's the pastor's job. Let let, let him do it. Let me just say this so clearly. When you and I become alive to God and we know that He loved us even when we'd walked away from Him, even while we were yet sinners, then one of the surest things is that each one of us becomes the kind of person who finds great, great joy in showing the love of God to other people that He has already shown to us. You're going to call it, consider it you're calling your privilege to show the love to others that has been shown to you. That's the first way to know that you're really alive to God. Do you see that in your heart? Number two, if you're really alive to God, you're going to do like He does and you're not going to limit the kinds of people you're willing to help. Mm-mm. I'm going to start meddling here. See, it, It's natural for, uh, for us to want to help people we know and people we like and people in our own family and that's right, we should. Uh, People within the life of our church, we've got to give a priority to making sure that when you have needs we'll meet them and I'm sure many of you have come like that even today. So it's good and it's right to help those close to you but, you notice Jesus fashions this story to emphasize that God's heart is for all people so that when you and I walk with God you're going to know it because your heart becomes like His see, the protagonist, the one that we are to follow in this story, is the Samaritan. And he is a man who, by ethnicity, loved somebody who was his sworn enemy. Now, I can imagine excuses that the priest and Levite might have made about why they, they didn't help. I think I've made them and I've heard them. Things like this. Well, it's his own fault. That. He knew that this Jericho road is called the road of death. What a fool. He got himself into this mess himself. Uh, he's not worthy of my help. We, we often think like that. Or, or two, well, I don't really know the man. I mean, if he was a part of my synagogue, then I might do something. And that last part is an excuse that I have heard in church. You know, your pastor's been in church a lot. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, I've heard in church so often and it's come out like this and I've, I've seen books about this saying this yes, God has compassion for, for, for people who are hurting and you see it in ancient Israel you know, Old Testament is filled with this uh, the nation of Israel which was a theocracy which means God is in charge it's a theocracy and when people came in uh, who were hurting into Israel they found laws that were compassionate to people even farmers had to leave food. They couldn't harvest all the food. They needed to leave it so that if people were hurting and, and didn't have food, they could, they could pick it up. So, so many laws. We were always commanded over and over again to care for those who were not cared for. The family, the extended family, was the main system of helping people. But there were people like orphans, widows, and immigrants who fell outside, and there were crisis situations, like this man on the road to Jericho, that those things just didn't naturally help. But people all see that. And then I, I have books that tell me, but that was Old Testament, and that was in a theocracy. But the United States is in a theocracy, so in the church we're supposed to just help church people. I, I'm trying to put this objectively. Um, I don't feel very objective about it. Let me just say this. Mark this down. The United States is, is not a theocracy, which means uh, God rules. He rules here, but you know we have a de- democracy but the church is a theocracy. Uh, who's in charge of this church? Whose church is this? Yes, and Jesus, the Son of God, is the Lord of the church. And Jesus' command to his church is that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the story that he told to illustrate that, it was somebody as distant as the Samaritan from the Jewish person. Oh, man. Well, he said, now I've got to calm down. i got to. But it's really clear that we'll just see people as people. We won't limit the kind of people we are willing to help because God doesn't. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Number three. You will seek to meet needs. It'll, it'll be a longing. It'll be a, a priority. You'll seek to meet needs when you have opportunity. You see, this showing the love of God to people will become something that you just long to do in your life. I I am sure that the priest and the Levite were busy men. I I connect with them because they were religious leaders, kind of like you've called me to be and God has called me to be. You can just imagine that they walked down the road and even if they would have cared, they would have thought, oh, that guy, is he dead or half dead? He might really be dead. Uh, If I go over and, and if they go over to touch him, you know, that would have defiled them and they could not have done their duties as a priest and a Levite for a number of days until they could become ritually cleansed. Did you know that? So I can, I can almost imagine it, thinking, oh, where is our priest today? He's not leading the service today. Where is he today? Oh, because he was out there and helped that dead guy. That's why he's not here with us. I can imagine them thinking, I'm a busy man. I've got important things to do and people are waiting for me. I better not go over there. Busyness. How much of a priority should showing practical love to people take in our lives as followers of Jesus? May I remind you that of 613 laws, they could be boiled down to 10. And of 10, they could be boiled down to 1. And the priority, according to the command of the king over all kings, is to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is a strong passage, don't you think? But Jesus spoke just as strongly about this in other places. One place is Matthew 25. It, it tells us that Jesus, the king over all kings, will gather all professing Christians at the last day, and there will be some who profess who aren't real followers of Jesus and some who are sheep and goats. That's, that's the way they were put. And how is Jesus going to sort this out? How is he going to tell who is the real from the fake, the sheep from the goat? You know what he said? To those who were the righteous, write with him. He said this. Put it here. Look at it. Here's how you know. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you left after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then those who are right with him will say, Lord, when did we do these things? And Jesus the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these my brothers and sisters, you did for me. For for they bear his image. Do you see it? Priority. For. And this gets us to the Lawyer's first question, how do I find the life that I've been made for? Let me just tell you, when you no longer just live for things or for yourself, you find the life, you find shalom. And you find it through the kind of sacrificial giving and serving that Jesus engaged in, giving his life for us. Again, remember he was talking about eternal life. And you see what the Samaritan did, verses 33 to 35. I've written it down. He felt compassion. He loved the man. He went and he was willing to touch this man. And he provided specific care with what he had. He used what medicine, which was the oil and the wine. He used what resources he had without regretting the cost. He personally lifted the man onto his own donkey. And then he had to walk and this man was able to ride. He took him to an end. Two denarii was two months wages. Two months of wages he used to care for this man. He gave to the point that some of the man's burden fell onto the Samaritan. It cost him time, strength, money. And it was for a sworn enemy. Uh, I read a commentary that said, uh, He gave until it hurt. I think Jesus would say, No, He gave until He found life. There is incredible joy. When we give in this way, so let me ask you, what what would motivate you to live life like this? I, I'm sure of this: that for us to live life in this way, you and I have to be people who have experienced that someone who owed us nothing gave everything to rescue us. That there is someone, even when we wanted nothing to do with him, he loved us. See, only when we experience that will we say, ah, then I'll treat other people the way the Samaritan treated people. you You and I have to be stunned, don't you think? I think sometimes we hear these messages so often, we need to be stunned by the grace and mercy of God and how much he saved us. I've written it down for you. You and I won't be a neighbor like Jesus calls us to be neighbors until we're awestruck by the fact that someone was a neighbor who rescued us from death. It's when we know that we are recipients of mercy, that we show mercy. I'll put it this way. When you and I have been saved by the mercy of God, one of the ways you and I are going to know it is that we are going to love our neighbors the way that Jesus loved us. That's what happens when Jesus is in charge of our lives. How are you and I to live after we surrender to the Lordship of Christ? Jesus says, just continue to love God with your entire being, and then go out and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus. Verse 36. Jesus turns to the expert of the law and he says, which of these these three do you think was a neighbor to that man who was beaten on the road? You can just feel it, how that one filthy word in his mind got stuck in his throat. He can't even say it. He can't even say it. He can only say the one who had mercy on him. Go and do likewise. And you will live. What do I want us to do with this? Uh, It might even start when you and I come to church. Maybe maybe if you come to church really with a desire you park and you come across saying, Lord, I've had a tough week, but today I'm going to extend and look for somebody else that I might show some of your love to. If we start and come to church not for what we get out of it, but to love all the needy people who are here, that's all of us. All of us. Maybe that's where it should start. What do you think? And then, from that position, we leave this place with that very same attitude, saying, Lord, I know what a neighbor is now. It's anybody you bring across my path, anybody with a need. That's my neighbor, and I've heard the command. It's all boiled down to this. It's to love my neighbor as myself. I I think that if we start that way, what you'll find is this, this world is just filled with people who feel like they're dying for so many reasons, elderly people who are lonely and separated from their families, people with broken families, Hurting marriages, both, both within our church and, and outside. People who have lost their jobs. I mean, you know it. It, it. It's the nature of our world. The love like the Samaritan showed needs to be shown throughout the world. And we are people rescued that he sends out into the world. And he tells us how to live. Better end. Uh, the rest of this story. Uh, can you imagine this Jewish man who had been unconscious Waking up in the end and discovering that some man had saved his life. And then the end caper comes in and he says, You know, the guy who brought you in here and saved your life, he's coming by this afternoon. How would you feel? Wouldn't you have a deep sense of anticipation? Who will he be? I wonder if it's going to be my priest. I wonder if it's going to be one of my community leaders. And then he walks in. And he sees. He sees a Samaritan. How does he feel? Put me back on the road. I don't want to be touched by a man like this. Does he hate this man? I tell you, no. He is grateful. So grateful that I'm sure that someday if he meets a man who is hurting he will love as he was loved. Uh, Jesus uh, took this story, that uh, a fictional story and he lived it out himself, you know. Remember how Paul put it, it's while you and I were sinners that Jesus really did this. He died for us. Did you, did you know that Jesus loves you? He loves you with an everlasting love. Have you received that love of God? Are you grateful? If you are, how do you live? Here's what Jesus says. Easy. Love the Lord your God with all of your being and let that be seen by you loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what happens when Jesus is in charge. And it will be to his glory. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray for a moment. Oh, Father, we have heard the heart of the matter today. So first, Father, I pray for each one of us who have come. Some, like Nicodemus, want to know how to even come to know you. I pray for them that today they may see how beautiful you are, how much they need your forgiveness, and how that is found through faith in Jesus. I pray for those who come and who don't know you as Father even now that they will simply come to you in prayer and say, God, I need to know you. I've I've heard it comes from me turning my life over to you, my sins over to you, and trusting Jesus. Here I am. I I want to follow Jesus. I believe in him. However you can find words to say that, pray that prayer. For the rest of us, Father, I think so many who come to a church are like me we've heard these messages so often that we need to be shocked again by your love for us while we were sinners Jesus the sinless one died for us thank you thank you now Father pierce through any hardened hearts we have that we again might be so deeply grateful that we will love you with our entire beings and we'll want to show that love we know our church will never be the same if each one of us hears this and applies it. Uh, th- this community will be impacted. People will have to come and figure out how, how can people love in this radical way. I pray that will happen through us. It will only happen if you work in us. Work in us. We've, we re-surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus and come to you in His name.